Well, good morning. I am excited to continue our series on waiting, and I'm, I'm excited to open God's Word together and to, to learn from Him and to see what He has for us. For those of you that were with us last week, and we began this journey of looking at this process of waiting, we looked at this, this big tension that exists, right? This tension that exists between God and His people. And the tension is this, that when it comes to God, He is perfectly fine with waiting, isn't he? But when it comes to waiting, we are not. And so we live in this tension with God, that God knows that great things come when we wait, but to us, all we want to do while we wait is get out of it, right? And so the question for us is that not necessarily if we'll ever have to wait, because the reality is we will all at some point, whether you're in that season right now, you will eventually be in a season of waiting. So the question is not a matter of what um, will I ever have to wait, but what will I do when I wait? And if God is okay with this tension, this morning what we want to do is look at what do we do when we're in the midst of this tension. Last week we looked at the reality that for God, he never stops fulfilling his purposes in our life. And when we wait, there is always a promise that he is is fulfilling in our lives. But for us, the question is, when we are in that season of waiting, what do we do? And oftentimes, the reason that we're in waiting is that there's a circumstance that has led us there. And our, our reaction is oftentimes to just sort of figure out, how do I react against this circumstance? And this morning, what we want to do is look at, instead of how do we react to the circumstance of our waiting, how do we actually respond to God? And due to the fact that at some point in our life, we will all be waiting, I was sort of thinking about it this morning and thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could have just sort of turned this whole room into one of those bland, terrible waiting rooms, right? I mean, we've all sort of been in a waiting room experience before. I mean, I'm sure we've all sort of, you know, had to go to the doctor or the dentist or, you know, been in a situation where you walk into a room and somebody gives you a number and you are now under their control as to when you are going to not be waiting anymore, right? I've been in lots of different settings like this, lots of different waiting rooms. In fact, I remember um, a number of years ago, it was a good six or so years ago, we were visiting some friends down in Florida, and it was over New Year's, and I don't know what it is about waiting rooms, um, but they all seem to be the same, don't they? Every time you walk into a waiting room, I feel like all they have is like the little, you know, 9 to 12 inch television. It's got like four channels and it's always doing reruns of Montel Williams. Like, you know, it's like every single waiting room tends to be the same, right? Well, we're visiting these friends down in Orlando and I don't know what it was. I was pregnant at the time and I had put this lotion on and I had some sort of allergic reaction to it. And so my entire body broke out in these red, terrible, itchy hives. And uh, it was awful. I was uncomfortable. Uh, I was pregnant. You know, I just wanted, I just wanted the hives to go away. And so I called my doctor on the phone. And I was like, "Is there anything you can prescribe? Is there anything you can do? You know, to to make this situation go away?" And she's like, "Well, I don't, I don't totally know what it is. You know, if it's an allergic reaction, you probably need to see a doctor. So you better go to an emergency room." So we figured out, you know, what the closest emergency room was, and we drove on over to it. And instantly, I walked in and. 
you're probably much like me. You assess the situation with your eyes, right? You sort of scan the room and you're like, who's the sickest? Don't sit next to them. You know, you you scan how many people are in the room and you're like, how long is the wait going to be? And you go up to the nurse, you know, at the counter and you're like trying to, to give her your story as to why you're there. And she's just there to take down your information. She's not even necessarily setting the tone as to how long you're going to wait, but you're trying to make sure that you appear very, very sick, right? Hoping she's going to have mercy. Hopefully she's going to be like you. You need to get to the front of the line. I need to get you in as quickly as possible. And I told you I was pregnant, so I kept, you know, the desk was right here, so she couldn't see that. So I kept trying to, like, jump up so she could see my pregnant belly, you know, so she would have mercy on me. And and she's like, you know, you're going to need to wait a few minutes before you see the doctor, so here's the waiting room. So we go over and we sit down. And I am not, I'm confessing, I'm a terrible waiter. I am not very good at waiting. Patience, not one of the biggest fruits of the Spirit at work in my life. And so we're sitting there and we're waiting and I'm frustrated and I'm itchy and all I want is for the situation to be over, you know, and I'm sort of like trying to put my line up in mind, you know, like who's in front of me. I'm praying that nobody comes in with a broken limb, you know, or an open, open gash wound, you know, so that they don't throw off the, the order of when I'm going to see the doctor. And and, you know, I'm sitting there, and it's, it's just forever and ever and ever, and we've been waiting now for a couple of hours. And I'm to the point where I'm just like, somebody needs to do something, and it's not going to be me. And so I literally look at Jared, and I said, do you love me? <laughs> I mean, what's he going to say in that moment, right? I mean, he only has one option, and he sort of looks at me and just sort of nods his head like, yes, I do. I really do. And I'm like, well, then you know what to do. And so he gets up and starts walking over to the nurse. And right when he started walking, the nurse called my name. And I think Jarrett was happier that my name was called than I was in that moment because he was going to have to start to explain my very impatient pregnant wife wants to see the doctor, you know. And so, so I finally was able to go back and see the doctor and get the medicine that I needed. But that whole experience, and maybe you've been in a waiting room experience sort of like that, Or maybe it's been a little bit more accurate to describe your life feels a bit like that. Maybe you've been in a waiting room, and one of the most frustrating things about that experience is that you have no control over when your name is going to get called. You have no control over when your name is going to get called. And I think one of the greatest tensions And the fact that God is perfectly fine with waiting and we are not is that we are not okay with not being in control, are we? We are desperate to try to gain any control of our life that we can possibly have. And whenever God invites you into a season of waiting, he's also inviting you into the opportunity to surrender control. You see, we cannot wait on God while also remaining in control, can we? When we wait on God, it is an opportunity for us to surrender control. When God asks us to wait, I think many of us, we just sort of feel like God has plopped us into this big, bland, spiritual waiting room, and all we can do is sort of sit there and read two-year-old highlights for children magazines, right? 
And we feel like we're in this waiting room and we're just waiting for God to call our name and to eventually get us out of the waiting room. And the tension that we face is that we aren't control, aren't in control of when our name is going to be called. You see, we want a plan. We want a timeline. We want an order of events. We want to know if, in fact, we're going to have to wait. Then how long is God going to make me wait? But when God invites us to wait, his invitation, his invitation in waiting always involves us surrendering control to him. But for many of us, when God invites us to wait, that is often the moment when we tighten up the grip on control, isn't it? And so instead of surrendering control to him, we actually hunker down and try to wrap our arms and our fingers around our life, and we try to get that much more in control of that which we were never really in control of. We try to be proactive. We even try, like, in the name of helping God, like, God, I got this one, really, You've got a lot going on. I can take care of my life. Don't worry about it. And we sort of tell God, here's what you need to do, Lord. Here's when you need to let me out. Here's what the plan needs to be. Here's how you need to release me from my waiting. And I've seen this in in many friends' lives. I've seen this in my own life. Oftentimes when God invites us into waiting, we get scared. And our fear causes us to try to gain control. And what ends up happening when we gain control is we start to spiritually settle. And we start to settle for so much less. You see, initially, it doesn't seem like we're settling for less. And this, initially, it doesn't seem like, you know, we're, we're, we're off a little ways. But over time, it starts to build up, and slowly we start to develop this calloused yet calculated way of moving through life. You see, what happens is we start to make our decisions instead of letting God make the decisions. We let the primary influences on what we should do, we just let that be our feelings instead of really being quiet and listening to God. What ends up happening is our desires don't look any different than the desires of others that aren't walking with God. We get angry and we get bitter when our plans fall apart and and we almost quietly blame God even though they were our plans, not his. And oftentimes what ends up happening when we take the reins and when we are in control of our lives is there's a slow, quiet jealousy and envy that starts to build inside of us. And we look around at other people's lives and we sort of go, well, why is her life always working out? Or why does he keep getting the raises? Or why are his finances always so good? Or, or she seems to always be invited out on a date. Or she, she most certainly, you know, she's able to have children right away. Why is it that I can't? And this quiet jealousy and envy starts to grow and boil within. And waiting and surrendering control, they cannot ever be separated. When God invites you to wait, he is also inviting you to surrender control in your life. Last week, we we looked at the truth and the reality that from cover to cover 
in this book, every time God invited somebody to wait, he was inviting them into a transformation process, right? And we looked at all of these different stories of people that waited upon God. Every single one of those stories, not only did they wait upon the Lord, but they were invited to surrender control. Noah, he didn't have any control over when that flood was going to be over. Daniel had no control over if and when he would get out of that lion's den. Joseph sat in a prison over a crime that he didn't commit. He had no control if he would ever get out of that prison. Sarah and Abraham, they couldn't get pregnant. They had no control over if and when they would have a child. Jacob waited and worked for years for the true love of his life, Rebecca. And then what happened? He had no control over the fact that he was given a different wife. The Israelites, they waited in Egypt for years. They worked as slaves. They had no control over if and when they would get a better future. David waited in a cave while he was literally being hunted down. He had no control over whether he would be found. Jonah sat in the belly of the whale. He had no control over if that would be where his life would end. Mary was engaged to be married. She was receiving all sorts of modern bride magazines. She was all excited about the wedding that she was planning. She couldn't wait. She picked out her colors. She had everything put together. And then an angel came walking into her living room, and everything about her life was changed. She had no control over the Son of God that was going to be birthed from her life. Simeon waited his entire life to see the Messiah. He had no control if it would ever happen. Mary and Martha, they watched their brother Lazarus die and they had no control whether Jesus would come and would actually raise him from the dead. The sick and the crippled, they had no control whether Jesus would actually come to their town and that he would actually touch them and heal them. Jesus, the Son of God, a part of the Trinity, waited upon the Father and actually relinquished control to the Father. He actually said, God, if it were up to me, I would let this cup go past me. But I surrender control to you. The book of Revelation leaves every single one of us in a posture of waiting for Jesus to return. When God invites us to wait, He invites us to surrender control. And so often, our posture is just to react to the circumstances of what we're going through. And instead, God is inviting us to respond to him and the work that he is doing in our lives. But so many of us, we run as quickly as we can from surrendering, don't we? We want to run the exact opposite direction. We're afraid that surrendering is going to require some pain, and so we don't want to move towards surrendering, so we start running away from surrendering. But when God invites us to actively wait with him, we can begin to see and trust that standing still in the present, that standing still in the present can actually mean deep forward progress that we're not stuck in some sort of bland spiritual waiting room, but that God is actually doing great work moving us forward from within. You see, active waiting is just that. It is very, very active. 
In fact, there have been different seasons of my life where God has invited me into waiting. And not one of those seasons did I joyfully walk into it. There has not been a single season where God ushered me into waiting where I threw a party for waiting. Every single one of them has been difficult. It has been painful. It has been challenging. But there is something so amazing about the rearview mirror, isn't there? Because when I look back on those seasons, those seasons produced more growth, more change, and more transformation inside of me than any other season God has walked me through. There's something quite miraculous about the rearview mirror. And last week, we, we looked at the story of Moses, and, and we looked at the story of the Israelites and, and how they journeyed and how they, how they left Egypt and, and how God ushered them into this land that he had promised for them, that he actually had called it the promised land. And we talked about how before God led them up to the sea, that he actually took them on a long way around, right? That there was a shorter route. He could have just taken them right through, but God led them through a long way because he had a promise to fulfill and he had purposes for that route. Well, once God led them through and and they went through, you know, the Red Sea and the whole thing happened and they were there in the desert, they sort of found themselves in this situation where now God had done all these amazing things and yet they were still waiting. They were literally in a desert waiting on God. And the Israelites began to sort of grumble and get frustrated. And so Moses had to have a lot of like define the situation conversations with them. And he had to simmer them down and calm them down. And and one of the things that God regularly did was in the waiting for the Israelites, he wanted to reveal to them that he would provide. That in the midst of their waiting, He was still present. And one of the first invitations that God invites us into when we wait is the invitation to release my will or your will. And while the Israelites were in this desert, one of the ways that God provided for them was actually through a bread-like substance. It was called manna. Maybe you've heard of this before. But Moses, he sort of gave some instructions and he sort of explained, here's what's going to happen. Every single morning, I'm going to give you this manna. You're not supposed to store it up. Don't put it in those little Ziploc freezer bags and, you know, try and keep it for a rainy day. I need to provide for you every single day. Well, the Israelites, they thought, well, what if God doesn't? Here we are. We're in the middle of the desert. We're waiting upon God. He's got a lot going on. Maybe we need to just help him out. Maybe we need to take things into our own hands. Maybe we need to sort of put our grip of control on things. And so literally it says in Exodus 16:20, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. You see the Israelites, they were afraid that in the midst of their waiting, that God would just keep them waiting. And so their temptation and what they did was to try to take control. And when God invites us to wait, it is actually the exact opposite that he longs for us to do. And that is to release control. 
But for many of us, we have this sort of activistic energy, right? I'm, I'm like this. I love starting my day by making lists. And I even, in my lists, I draw boxes so that I can check them at the end of the day. And when you're stuck in the middle of a desert and you're not checking boxes, it feels really, really painful, doesn't it? And you just feel like, how could God leave me here in the desert? Did he forget me? And those are the moments. Those are the moments when God is most inviting you to not cling to your will, but to actually surrender and say, it's your will, God. It's your will that I choose today. And instead of gritting our teeth and, and forcing ourselves into God's will, I have found that there's the, the process of releasing through prayer. You know, Jesus so beautifully demonstrated and modeled to us in the Lord's Prayer. Probably many of us have grown up saying this prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our what? Our daily bread. Jesus is remembering what the Israelites needed to pray so many, many years ago, right? That God, in the midst of our waiting, if we can release to his will and not cling to ours, he will provide daily bread. And the Israelites, they needed to learn to release control, and not only to release control, but then to respond to God and how he was already at work. Eugene Peterson, who uh, is one of the, um, the main trans, uh, translators of the Message Bible, uh, many of you probably read from this translation, he says this about responding to God. The assumption of spirituality is that always God is doing something before I know it. So the task is not to get God to do something that I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can respond to it and participate and take delight in it. Isn't that beautiful? I think so often, though, my posture and maybe your posture is somewhat like this. We, we have this temptation to just say, God, here's what I need you to get done, right? Here's how I need you to fix my waiting. Here's how I need you to get me out of it. Here's the time frame that I would like this to all be done with, God. And instead, what we need to do is we need to become aware that God is already at work and he is doing something in our lives. And his invitation is for us to respond to it. You see, active waiting will change how you view your purpose. When we are just hungry for our waiting to come to an end and for God to sort of just, you know, call our name and get us out of that waiting room, what we're doing is not actively waiting on God. What we're actually doing is waiting for a certain sense of entitlement. We're just wanting God to, to take us out of the situation that he may have actually walked us into. We, we sort of believe that we deserve to get out of our waiting room. We sort of, you know, think, you know, th there's a better plan, and so, God, I'm going to just show you how you need to release me from it. One of my favorite books is by an author by the name of Larry Crabb, and he writes this incredible book called Shattered Dreams. And I was walking through a really painful season of my life 
um, a few years back, and I read this book. And in the middle of the book, Larry tells the story of a man who his circumstances of his life literally crumbled before his eyes. And he had loss of job, loss of family member, sickness, about with depression. And he had walked through this terrible season. And this man in the book talks about what happened to his faith in the middle of this waiting room, this room that he never wanted to be in. This is what he says about what happened to his faith in the middle of his waiting room. He said, faith, as I'm growing to understand it, is about looking beyond my circumstances to a person. You see, to have faith in better circumstances, even in God creating better circumstances, is not true faith. I actually want to be the kind of person who can watch every dream go down in flames and still yearn to be intimately involved in kingdom living, intimately involved with my friend, the King, Jesus, and still be willing to take another risk just because it delights him for me to do so. That, that's faith, isn't it? That even in the midst of terrible circumstances, that we wouldn't react to the circumstance, but instead we would look, how can I respond to God? You see, when we actively wait, God transforms. He literally transforms sometimes the very purpose that we were in the waiting room for. I wonder, for each of us here this morning, how might God be trying to move you from instead of just reacting to your circumstances in life to instead respond to how God is at work? Because when God invites us into a waiting room, he invites us to release control to his will, to respond to his work, and the amazing thing that he does in the process is he begins to renew us. That while we release to his will and respond to his work, he begins to renew us. He literally begins to change us. And I've seen God do this in unbelievable ways. And the ways where he has most renewed me is in those gut, honest, real, authentic, don't hold back kind of prayers with God. And I think oftentimes when we come to church, we think, you know, I've got to say my prayers really nice, and I really probably shouldn't go off on God, even though deep down inside, I'm really frustrated about my circumstances. But friends, have you ever read the book of Psalms? David had some serious anger issues. You just look at here in Psalm 77, a man that was smack dab in a spiritual waiting room. The circumstances of his life were not what we, he would have planned. If he was the only one holding the pen and authoring the story, he would not have written it the way that his life was going. And this is what he says to God in Psalm 77. I yell out to my God. I yell with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. And he listens. 
I found myself in trouble, and I went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound, and it just wouldn't heal. When friends said everything will turn out all right, I didn't believe a word that they said. I remember God, and I shake my head. I bow my head, then I wring my hands. I'm literally awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say what's bothering me. I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute all through the night, wondering how to get my life together. It's an honest prayer, isn't it? It's an authentic cry to God. In the midst of his waiting, he releases up to God and he is trying so desperately to respond to what God is doing. Literally, it says he's up all night. He's wringing his hands for some reason. Even playing the lute seems to help him out in the situation. You know what's amazing? Just a few verses later, do you know what David's response is to being in the presence of God? to being honest and authentic, to crying out to the Lord. This is what he says just a few verses later, Psalm 77, 13. Oh God, oh God, your way is holy. No God is great like you are. You're the God who makes things happen. And you showed everyone what you can do. You see, when we actively wait, when we actively wait and when we release to God's will and we respond to his work, he begins to renew us in the midst of our honest, authentic cries out to God. And if you have ever watched someone authentically watch, walk through a season like that, it's pretty awe-inspiring, isn't it? When someone's life circumstances have literally crumbled all around them, when the story of their journey is not at all how they would have written it, and yet they still trust God. It's an awesome thing to see God at work in a person's life, isn't it? And I have a dear friend who's been a part of this church, actually, before it ever even started, um, back when Soul City Church was an idea. Um, my friend Jade sent an, us an email we were down in Atlanta and said, I think I'm supposed to be a part of this church. And I was like, who are you? Um, and ever since, today has been a part of this church. And I've watched his life over the last few years as God has ushered him into a very intense spiritual waiting room. And I asked him this morning if he would be willing to share his story, his authentic story with us as a community. And so would you help me invite uh, Jade to the stage this morning. Jade, I would love for you um, to just share with us a little bit of the circumstances of the waiting room. Um, and I know that many of these are very painful for you. Yeah. But the circumstances of the waiting room that God has had you in over the last few years. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. Um, so I... I think back over the last three years of my life, and uh, there have been several events and circumstances that has led me to this period of waiting. Um, I've been seeking employment for a while now. Um, I've been in a place of financial instability, and 
and uh, of how to deal with the loss of uh, four family members. Um, and I'm currently battling a fierce um, struggle with depression and anxiety. And, uh, and, and I keep asking God, like, when? When are you going to provide the job? When are you going to bring me to a place of financial stability? When are you going to bring healing and freedom? Um, and, and I was asking a lot of questions, and, and I noticed that my questions began to shift, um, shift from asking God why this was happening to, to God, what are you doing, um, Jesus? What are you doing in my life? And, and I began to sense in those moments that I needed to pay attention to the process that God was taking me through, um, that I needed to be not just a willing participant, but an active participant in that process. And yeah, so that's what it's mm. been like. Yeah. yeah, and I know today that as you have struggled with, you know, not getting a job in this, this season of instability financially and the loss of dear family members, mm-hmm. um, and now this really painful battle with depression mm. and anxiety, mm. I know that in the process of instead of saying, God, why, mm. it has moved to what are you doing? And I know that process has changed how you see God. Absolutely. I mean, that, that you see him totally different. I would love for you to explain how you view him even. Yeah, um, so I, I think back over my life and, and even through scripture, like I know within my heart that the God is good, the God is faithful, he's trustworthy, you know, he's, he doesn't abandon or forsake his children. Um, but yet I look at my circumstances, I'm like, God, where are you? Mm. Are, do you care? Um, and, and there were days... Um, I began writing down verses of scripture, God's promises of God's faithfulness. And, mm. and there were days that I would read those verses over and over and over again until my mind caught up to what my heart already believed. And, mm. and at the end of every day, I, I look at my circumstances and I'm like, God, I, I don't understand, but I know that you are who you say you are, you know, and, and you never change. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that God, as you have seen a new view of him, mm. He has changed you. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love yeah. for you to tell us a bit about that. Um, so I, if I'm being honest, there, there are days when, when the pain of waiting runs so deep that words like agony and anguish and despair did not even begin to describe um, the depth of that pain. Um, and, and in those moments, there's a temptation I want to run away from God, but I know that I need to run toward him. And, and the days when I'm literally on my face, nose to the carpet, um, totally broken and surrendering to God and praying to God, God, not my will. Um, I surrender my plans, my desires, my hopes for yours. Have your way in me. And, and beautiful things happen in, in this place. And God, um, and God reminds me that he's trustworthy, you know, and, and it's a daily battle. It's a daily choice that I have to make to, um, to rejoice, to pray, to, to stay in the script, you know, in God's word. And, and, uh, and I don't understand um, what God is doing. I don't know how long this will last. Um, but one thing I do know, God, God is trustworthy. And, mm. and even when I don't understand, I, I can say to God that I trust you. I, I really do trust mm. you. Yeah. And today I have seen that in your life. You, you have put on literally a clinic of a man that is trusting in the Lord, that is waiting upon the Lord. And I can see how he is lifting you up. And I think oftentimes in these moments, um, especially in church, there's that temptation like, so what's the bow at the end of the story, right? How can today tell us how you're all better now? How it's slick, how it's all better. Unwrap the wrapping paper. 
And the pain of waiting, sometimes, sometimes we wait for a very long time for that bow. But God is never not faithful. He's never not at work. And I'm so grateful and blessed for your honesty and for your authenticity and for your willingness to tell us a story in progress instead of a story that's just completed. And your faith is such a beautiful, beautiful picture to us of a man waiting on God. So would you pray with me for today? Father, I thank you for this man. I thank you for his life. I thank you, God, that you have given him the perseverance and the courage to actively wait upon you, God. Thank you for the beauty of his story that he is willing to release himself to your will, to respond to how you are at work in his life, God. And thank you that we all were just able to get a picture of how you are renewing him, how you are changing him. God, we ask that you would send mercy and grace and hope and provision that you would continue to strengthen Jaday in the midst of the wait, that he would be reminded that those that wait upon the Lord will be renewed. We trust this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. My hunch is when you were listening to Jaday's story, your circumstances might be quite different. Your life might look um, not the same as his. But there's probably something in your life where there is some waiting. Where you find yourself in that spiritual waiting room. And you may have even walked in this morning saying, God, why? Why am I in this room? And maybe through his story, there was a part of you that began to say, what I need to do is start to say, what are you doing, God? What are you doing inside of me while I'm in this room? You know, our son, Elijah, um, he's six years old. And when he was just a little guy, he started this little thing. Um, it was probably when he was around two or so. And he would always want to take a toy to bed with him at night. And so every night, you know, he would always sort of go through and pick, you know, which toy is it going to be tonight? And I would always sort of imagine, like, a Toy Story moment, like all the toys are like, pick me, pick me, you know. And um, I'll never forget, he was around two, and he was into a big phase of John Deere tractors. And so he had picked this massive John Deere tractor to take in a bed with him. It was like twice the size of him. And I was too tired, and so I decided not to fight it and just let the tractor in anyways. And, um, and so he went to bed with this big old John Deere tractor, and his arms were wrapped around it, you know. And um, later on in the night after he had fallen asleep, I went up into his room um, to take the tractor out of the bed. And um, I walked into his room, and literally his arms were still sort of clenched around it, and his fingers were like white-knuckled on that tractor. It was like he had sort of like figured out that what I did every night was take the toy out of the bed, and he was like, I'm holding it tonight. And so I, you know, sort of released his fingers from the tractor and, you know, took it and put it on the dresser, and um, I was getting ready to turn the, the nightlight off. And I just felt the Spirit of God whisper to me so lovingly, but so firmly. I just felt God's whisper to me, Jeannie, 
That is how you hold on to your life. The way Elijah's arms are wrapped around that tractor is exactly how your arms are wrapped around your life. And if you would just open your hands, if you would just loosen the grip, you have no idea, you have no idea what I have waiting for you. And for some of you here today, you have your arms wrapped around a John Deere tractor. Your arms are wrapped so tightly around your life or around your future or around your career or around your relationships or around your finances or around what's going to be next in my life. And God is whispering you that same thing that he was whispering to me. If you would just loosen your grip, if you would just loosen your grip, you have no idea of the things that I have waiting for you. And so before we spend a few moments worshiping, what I want to invite you to do is to actually participate in loosening the grip. And I'm going to walk us through a few passages of Scripture where people cry out to God in the midst of their waiting. And if you find yourself in a season this morning of waiting, if there's an area of your life where you are waiting on God, what I'm going to actually invite you to do is just in your seat, open your hands to God and to just, as a physical way, to say to him, I am no longer trying to take control. I'm willing to release to your will, to respond to your work in my life so that you can renew me. And so if that's you, I'm going to just invite you to put your things down and to open your hands up to him. And I'm going to pray for us right now. Isaiah 40, 27 says, God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's the creator of all that you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to the dropouts. But those who wait upon God, they get fresh strength. They get fresh strength and they spread their wings and they soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalm 33, 20 says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and he is our shield. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 37, 34 says, Wait for the Lord and keep his way. Psalm 38, 15, I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. Psalm 41 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry. Psalm 135 says, I wait for the Lord and my whole being waits and in his word I put my hope. Lamentations 3.25, God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It is a good thing to quietly hope, to quietly hope for help from God.
Hosea 12, 6, what are you waiting for? Return to your God. Commit yourself in love and in justice and wait for your God. And don't ever, don't ever, don't ever give up on him. Micah 7, 7, but me, I am not giving up. I am not giving up. I am sticking around to see what God will do, and I am waiting. I am waiting for God to make things right, and I'm counting on God to listen to me. And Father, this is our prayer this morning. We are waiting upon you. We are putting our hope in you. We are putting our trust in you. We are releasing to your will, God, to your will to be done in our lives. And God, we want to respond to how you are already at work in and through us. And we are asking, Father, that you would renew us, that you would change us from the inside out, that you would transform us. And we are asking that you would remind us, God, that you never leave us alone in a waiting room. You are always with us and you are always for us. And you have promises to fulfill and purposes to accomplish in our life. And God, we trust you today and we give you our worship. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.